Hi, welcome to episode 595 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott. And I was just thinking the other day, there are people alive right now who will still be alive in the 22nd century. That is nuts. I hate those people. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to issue 645. Today, it's Fantastic Four 605.1 from the year 2012, Origin by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Choi. And here is one of the most inexplicable things that Marvel has ever done with its numbering. The decimal. The decimal. Shouldn't issue 605.1 just be a reprint of issue 605 with a couple of extra pages added on to serve as the tenth of an issue? But it's just another new issue, normal sized, and I think their rationale was that the .1 issues were supposed to be a good jumping on point. Really? Marvel was under the impression that there were a lot of new readers out there just waiting for some decimal issue to show up and then they'd be like, yes, a decimal. That is guaranteed to sell. Maybe that's, maybe that's something about young people these days. They love decimals. Put a decimal on an issue, you're, you're solid. How do I get a job running Marvel Comics? I think I could do a better job. How do you sell comics? Good covers. Not this multiple cover crap, a bunch of pinups that have nothing to do with the story inside, but one really good eye-catching cover by the artist from inside the issue that gives you an idea of the fun and excitement to be found inside the comic itself. Something that intrigues a potential reader, makes them go, huh, what's that about? They need to hire me to run Marvel Comics because apparently constant relaunches, multiple pinup covers, and decimals aren't working. So here it is, the decimal issue, the point one issue, trying to pick up new readers at the tail end of the Hickman run. And in order to help pick up new readers, it's an issue where the Fantastic Four, at least not our Fantastic Four, do not appear at all. Instead, it takes place in another reality completely. And so the issue starts back during that original space mission, but other than Ben Grimm, I can't tell who's on the ship. Some guy says, We are the sharp point, the very start of the Fuhrer's 1,000 year plan. The Fuhrer? Is this an alternate future where the United States is run by white supremacists? Oh, I would hate to live in that future. Oh, wait! Oh! So there's a flashback to two years earlier, with an old Hitler still alive, and he's talking to Dr. Richards, enlisting him to become part of their Nazi space program. And then 16 months earlier, in New Berlin, which is New York, with blimps, kind of an improvement, everything is better with blimps, the Nazis are in some gymnasium evaluating candidates for Reed's space mission. They pick Sue and Johnny Storm because the two of them have just beaten up a gym full of other applicants. I don't know if that's the 
I don't know if that's any way to run your space program, but I like it. Eleven months ago, at the Nazi concentration camp in Boston... No, I just remembered that Ben Grimm is Jewish, by the way. Uh-oh, that's gonna be a problem. Some Nazis opened the gates and ordered the Jew pilot be brought out. Ah, uh, you know my favorite Jew pilot, the Seinfeld Chronicles. And five months ago, back in Germany, Reed is in a room full of scientists trying to solve a problem. The only other scientist who does is a handsome man by the name of Victor Von Doom. So four months ago, some bald guy with a big, freshly stitched scar on his bald head is talking to Victor Von Doom, thanking him for his contributions to the space program, and we see Doom dead on the operating table with the top of his head cut off and part of his brains taken out and put into the head of the bald guy. The bald guy says that he will think of Von Doom when he sees Earth from the heavens. I assume this bald guy is supposed to be the Nazi Reed. But there is a problem with the revolving door of artist. If this were an artist who had drawn many issues of the Fantastic Four, we might recognize his version of Reed even without the hair, but we don't. So I'm just guessing that it's Reed. I don't know for sure. So we jump to the present, or this really isn't the present. This is the first mission of the Fantastic Four in another reality. I guess it's 1961. Uh, so Dr. Richards and his crew are in the spaceship. They get exposed to the cosmic rays. Ben starts to turn into the thing. And oddly enough, this version of the thing looks a lot like the thing from that horrible fourth Fantastic Four movie that came out a couple years ago. Johnny seems to have turned into some version of the Iceman, and they end up forming the Fantastic Three. The thing is not considered a member. He's just some animal to keep on a leash because he's not just a rock monster. He's a Jewish rock monster. Hitler is introducing them to a crowd of people in Nuremberg at a celebration of achievement. But Ben, he breaks free. He says, Remember the Alamo, you Nazi bastard. The Alamo? The Alamo? I'm guessing Hitler doesn't know what the hell the Alamo is. Why would he? Why would, why would Hitler know anything about the Alamo? I'm pretty sure he's not well-versed on Texas history. There's a loud squish. I assume that was Hitler's head. Johnny with his ice powers, and Sue has the human torch powers, fight back. Ben shatters Johnny's head, and people run screaming from the mayhem. And a TV news report shows Reed standing there as the announcer says, Who will lead us, and what does our future hold? And then we have some narration from Nazi Reed, saying that he would have remade his world, but a bunch of outcasts and rebels stood in his way, like the X-Men and the Avengers. They show him fighting them all, and then holding the Infinity Gauntlet, losing control, and destroying his entire Nazi world. Oops! Reed floats in space for a long time. He grows that beard. He becomes the evil Reed with the bald head and the long beard. He finds the bridge, the place where all the other Reeds hang out, and eventually the Cross-Time Council of Reeds is formed with the goal of solving everything. And how did you enjoy that, new readers? Not only a story without the real Fantastic Four, it's a prequel to a story that is already over and done with. In other words, the worst possible jumping on point you could possibly have. It's ludicrous that anyone at Marvel would consider this some kind of jumping on point. Why not publish an annual 33 and include this as one of the stories? Because that's what it really is. 
It's the perfect story to include as a backup in an annual. I just noticed, on the letters page, the editor does write that this may not be the most accessible point one issue you'll ever read. Well, no, it is absolutely the least accessible point one issue I have ever read. It's also the only point one issue I've ever read, so you have that. Welcome to episode 595, part 2. It's FF18 from July 2012. What do you call the opposite of a field trip? Isn't that, you know, class? Just class? By Jonathan Hickman and Neil Dragota. So the issue starts in class at the Baxter Building with all the kids and Dragon Man bored while listening to their substitute teacher drone on. And that substitute teacher is Johnny Storm? One kid raises his hand to ask a question and Johnny says, you, weird looking fish kid, go. Now that's not really, that's a really rotten way to treat a student. Can you imagine a real teacher? Hey you, weird looking kid with a bad acne and foul odor, go. That would not be good. A moloid kid decides to ask a question about reproduction. Johnny goes on to say that when a man loves a woman, or when a fish creature loves a rock monster, they can reproduce. But they only do it out of love. I don't think that's true. Not everyone creates children out of love. Sometimes a woman will have a child just so she can get a bigger settlement after the divorce. Isn't that right, Melania? Of course, all the kids have different stories about their births, none of which involve anyone loving anybody else. Johnny decides he's terrible at this teaching. He suggests a field trip. So he decides to take a whole group of kids to the negative zone, which is the most dangerous place the Fantastic Four have ever visited except for the time they went to New Jersey. Some bug creature warrior comes along and tells Johnny that here there is trouble in a sub-city. Ironically, the sub-teacher is going to sub-city. So off they go, and Valeria says they sure could use Franklin right now. But we see that Franklin is off with the adult Franklin in space near the sun. A sun, not our sun. Franklin has used his powers to repair the sun of Hala. Hala! The, the Cree homeworld. Really? Franklin's powers have always been so ridiculous, but this is, you know, ridiculous. So now Reed is going to work on some kind of peace deal between the Inhumans and the Cree. Black Bolt and his family are there, as are the Supreme Intelligence and Ronan the Accuser. Black Bolt is more interested in fighting. Adult Franklin takes him into this red box where they can, uh, talk in Renner movie where he can talk to Black Bolt without killing anyone with Black Bolt's voice. Franklin tells Black Bolt that he senses something about the future and that is it's important for Black Bolt to return to Earth. So back in Sub City Johnny arrives he finds out that the invaders want to have a chat. They have demands one of them says but another bug creature corrects him and says they have a demand, singular. 
When has a negative zone been a become bug central? Suddenly, there's nothing but bugs in the negative zone. Bugs, bugs, bugs. In the past, there's been a huge variety of life forms in the negative zone. So anyway, the bugs demand is one thing. It is free elections. They don't have free elections in the negative zone? Well, you know, hey, I'm from North Carolina. Welcome to the club. Next, they have to decide what kind of government they want. Parliamentary democracy? Representative republic? Dragon Man points out that if a person votes, then dies, and then gets brought back to life by worms, that person doesn't get to vote again. Oh, that old scheme. I remember Acorn doing a lot of that back in 2008. So by the end of the issue, they've set up a government, cast their votes, and now they're counting? What the hell? That seems awfully fast. What is that, like a British election kind of thing? So Valeria gives the results to Johnny, who turns out he was running and he lost. He only got 42 votes. Derp the Worm got 1,598 votes. Not bad for a socialist. Slogos got 236 votes. It's that sex scandal with Blastar really set him back. Antar of Moog got 66,981 votes. And a write-in candidate, Annihilus, got 14,980,336,901,214 votes. So, congratulations to Antar of Moog, the new leader of the Negative Zone. Isn't that how it works? The person who gets the second most number of votes gets to win? You know, by judging, the, by, judging by their reactions, it seems that Annihilus won. Even though he got the most votes. What kind of democracy are they running there? That's not fair. So that's it, the end of another stupid issue. Such broad comedy. An issue that addresses the politics of the negative zone could be very interesting. But this is just played for laughs. And I didn't laugh. How did they set up a new government and run new elections that involve trillions of voters in such a short amount of time? It's so dumb. So dumb. That's all for now. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. Or you can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. It's not looking good for us What made it through the flood Is now covered in rust It's not really working like I thought But I can't take it back Like something I wish I'd never bought